Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning to you, everyone. It's a great delight to join you for your service today. It's a great privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you. Um, It's been a real delight for me over the last few years to get to know um, at least two members of your church family, Alan Hawkins and Dan Alger. They have been so kind to us over in the UK, uh, given their time, given their wisdom, a real example of loving generosity. And these are strange times, but these strange times do give us new opportunities. So through technology, it's a real privilege for me to be able to open up uh, God's book, the Bible, as we listen to the voice of our Creator and our Redeemer. So it'd be great help for me if you want to keep your Bibles open or find uh, the section of the Bible again, that would be great. Matthew uh, chapter 5 and verses 38 to 48. And with God's Word open before us, let's pray. Let's pray that the Holy Spirit would help us understand God's Word. Let's pray not just for understanding, but for the ability to see Jesus, and to live more wholeheartedly for him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Bible. Um, We do pray that you would show us more glorious things about the Lord Jesus today. Inspire us as we look at him. Motivate us to love him and to be those people who live in the world as people of love. And we pray that for the glory and honour of Jesus. Amen. Let me start by asking you a question. Do you think extremism is wrong? Simple question, is extremism wrong? We uh, certainly live in a generation that instinctively assumes that extremist behaviour is dangerous and must be stopped at all costs. But my question as we start is, well, is that true? Should it be? Uh, I know what people mean when they talk about extremism. They're referring to that internal anger, that hatred towards a particular group of people uh, that wants to harm them, either it harms them verbally or it harms them violently. And of course, when people talk about this kind of extremism, we want to stop it. Uh, We want to rid the world of that sort of hatred. And you will know as you study your Bibles, that Christians should be the first to protest against all kinds of wrong behaviour. We should be the first to stand against injustice. Uh, We should be eager to speak against any sort of prejudice, any sort of discrimination. And as we do that, we should be heard and seen by those around us. And praise God, this is what many people have been doing, many Christians, in response to the tragic death of George Floyd. Uh, We should also be those who are the first to push back against any extremism that seeks to harm another person. So that is pretty simple, isn't it? However, this doesn't mean that all extremist behaviour is wrong. It all depends on what the behaviour is. Now, let me give you a few examples to explain what I mean. What would you say to someone who is extremely kind. Well, I'm not sure you would say things like this, would you? Well, just tone it down a bit. Just a little bit. We don't want 
your extreme kindness around here. Well, you wouldn't say that at all. That's just stupid. Or, or what would you say to someone who is extremely generous? Indeed, extremely generous to you. I doubt you would be saying something like this. Could you just be a bit more, like, tight-fisted, hard-hearted, and stop giving me so much of your money? <laughs> You're not going to say that, are you? Or what about to someone who's extremely patient and extremely tolerant of others? Well, I doubt you're going to say, well, it's about time you lost your temper and showed your displeasure to those around you. Of course, we wouldn't say this. Now, my point is a simple one. Extreme behaviour is not wrong in itself. Extremely wrong behaviour is wrong. But the opposite of this is not some half-hearted, lukewarm intensity to the things that are right and the things that are good. No, the beautiful opposite, and it is a beautiful opposite, of negative extremism is positive extremism. And this is the kind of behaviour that we find outlined for us by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's what Christians commonly call the Sermon on the Mount. And as we dig into the Sermon on the Mount, what we must understand is that these are not a list of instructions for how we get ourselves into heaven. These are not instructions, rules, by which if we keep them, that our moral performance will get higher and higher and will somehow earn God's way into heaven. No, this is a beautiful manual. Uh, for those who are sinners, who have come to Jesus the Saviour, who have been rescued by him, who are following him personally as their King and Saviour, and who are now in his kingdom, this is a beautiful manual for how we, saved sinners in the kingdom, are to live out our lives following the Lord Jesus Christ as King. And it is full of teaching, which to... Uh, put it in great summary, is extremely beautiful. Now, the focus of today's section is on love. And in short, Christians, according to Jesus, are to be extremely loving. And what I want to do is I walk you through these verses at the end of Matthew chapter 5. I want to think about two questions. Uh, first question is the question of desire. As you listen to these words, I want you to ask yourself the question, do I want to live like this? That's the question of desire. Uh, we're going to get to the question of realism in just a moment, which is, you know, am I living like this? But the first one is a question of desire. Do I want to live like that? Because if we want to change our behavior, if we want to see um, our lives transformed, we cannot go for the externals. It's got to be from the heart. And therefore, the question of desire, as you listen, think, do I want to live like this? And then secondly, am I living like this? That's the question of reality. Um, how does the standard that Jesus portrays and presents and outlines for the behaviour of his, um, his followers, um, how does my life uh, shape up to that? Um, so there are two questions. Do I want to? And am I doing it at the moment? Well, let's focus on this extremely loving behaviour. Um, according to Jesus, we're to show our love in two ways. Uh, we are to show reactive love, verses 38 to 42. And then secondly, we are to show proactive love. And you see that in verses 43 to 48. So first of all, let me show you the reactive love that we are called to show. So verse 38, why don't you have a listen and have a read of this. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, 
Uh, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, that's what Jesus says to us this morning. Now, we don't have to be alarmed by all this talk about a, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You might have some people that maybe haven't really read the Bible very much, but they might say things, oh, how, how horrific a picture this is of God. I told you he was like this. Uh, this is not a bad thing. This is a very beautiful description of how we are to live. Uh, what was um, uh, said in the Old Testament time is this was to restrict our sense of outrage and our sense of revenge. So please notice, this is not a head for an eye and a body for a tooth. Uh, this is all about, to, in the Old Testament times, to restrict that sense of outrage. In short, we're told that the punishment should fit the crime. Now, of course, Jesus agrees with this. Uh, that's not a bad way to live. This is the, the foundation stone of, of justice systems around the world. This is important. This is right. But then Jesus then pushes it much more deeply. And he tells us that God's true intention for how we are to respond when we are on the receiving end of wrongdoing is not simply to be living like this, but we are to be proactively in response love. That is how we are to respond. Uh, listen to what he says as verse uh, 39 uh, continues. Uh, Jesus has said, do not resist an evil person. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other one also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You see what Jesus is doing? He pushes it deeper uh, than this. And he gives us four examples that spells out how we are to respond with generous love. When we're on the receiving end, when our, our, our every instinct might be to, to respond not with generous love, but with outraged annoyance, to defend our rights and to, to, to respond with, with violence or hatred or aggression or anger. Jesus says, get slapped in the face. Well, don't just get your fists out and ready to punch. You, you, you don't want to, be, you want to be reacting with extreme love or go the extra mile when a Roman soldier could have commandeered one of the citizens of the country that they had taken over and commissioned them to walk the one mile to carry their kit, to carry their stuff, to do whatever they wanted. Well, at the end of the one mile, what is the Christian told? Don't just say, well, I've done my bit, no more will you get out of me. The Christian is told, well, why don't you offer to go the next mile as well. Now you hear this sort of uh, extreme love of we are to respond like this and you should ask yourself, well, where can I find the power? Where can I find the motivation to do all this? Uh, what we need to understand is that in the moment, by the time we arrive at the moment when we are to respond, all of this needs to be instinctive to us. Uh, instinctive humanity doesn't respond like this. Instinctive humanity wants to defend our rights, wants to respond aggressively. But Christians, remember, are to be different. So how do we get to the point uh, where in our life, in the moment when we, are, when we are called to respond and react, our instinct is to love, not to hate? Uh, well, I think the secret is, over time, 
our, our DNA, our spiritual DNA, becomes more in line and is shaped and changed to become more like the DNA of our adopted family. That's one of the beautiful things about being a Christian, isn't it? And that before we knew Jesus Christ, uh, we were lost, we were separated from God. But Jesus comes, dies on the cross, rises again, sends his spirit into our hearts so that we are turned and changed so that we can follow the Lord Jesus Christ as well. And what happens when we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, one of the beautiful pictures is of adoption. That we are adopted into God's family. Not because we've earned it, but because Jesus has done it and we are welcomed into the family. It's a beautiful thing. But here's here's one of the big differences between divine adoption, that is the div- uh, adoption that God does, and human adoption. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it, when um, a, a child who is without parents is welcomed into a new human family and new loving parents are there. And maybe the child, as they enter into this family, have all sorts of behavioural difficulties. But what happens over time, you, 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 you hopefully see the transformation of behaviour. But there are limitations of what the new parents can do, even though they are the, could be the most loving you could ever find. They can only lead by example. They cannot change the DNA of the child. But divine adoption is different. Not only do we get a great example from the Lord Jesus Christ, but when we are adopted into the family, the Spirit of God moves into our heart and he transforms us from the inside out. And that is a fantastic truth. What happens, friends? Over time, as we take advantage of the normal means of grace, as the Spirit of God takes the word and sacrament, and as he changes us from the inside out so that we take on the DNA of our new family. Well, in the moment when we are called to respond, that is when we will respond with love because over time uh, we have been transformed by the Holy Spirit. So it's a call, isn't it? To not give up on the ordinary means of grace. Trust that God's ways will shape us over time. And then when we get to the moment, uh, we respond with reactive, responsive love. But it's not just that direction, is it? We're not just to be responsive in love. According to the Lord Jesus Christ, we are to show proactive love. And that's the focus of verses 43 to 48. Listen to verse 43. You've heard it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now, there is uh, not a quote um, in the Old Testament at all that says, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. You won't find it in the Old Testament. Uh, The first part does come from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. But what about the second part? So we get the first part about about loving your neighbour. Well, what's all this stuff about hating your enemy? Well, all that flowed out of that religious mindset, particularly of the Pharisees at the time of Jesus, but that religious mindset that tries to minimise what God desires. It tries to say, yeah, I'm going to go this far, but no further. And in the days of Jesus, the religious teachers had narrowly defined who a neighbour was as a fellow Jew. And then they had decided, well, the only way to treat your enemies, therefore, was to hate them. And Jesus says, 
not in my kingdom. Because my disciples will be characterized by radical love. And so he says to us, love your enemies. And the reason, well, he says the reason is that therefore we will become like our father in heaven who loves his enemies. Or, in short, we'll become like our dad, our heavenly father. It's so popular, isn't it, to believe that many human beings, most of us, are good people. Now, there might be a few bad apples in the human story, but most people assume that the majority of us are nice and respectable and will be welcomed by God when we arrive in heaven. If you like, if there was some heavenly passport control, there'd be no cues for us. Uh, we'd be straight in. In fact, we'd be fast-tracked because we're so nice and respectable. It's really popular, isn't it? But according to the Bible, it isn't true. Instead, according to the truth of Scripture, um, is that before we have a saving encounter with Jesus Christ, we are enemies of God, enemies of our creator. We might be in friendly terms with our next door neighbour, but before we come to know Jesus, before we follow him and become Christians, all of us are guilty of cosmic treason and deserve to experience the judgment of God forever. And yet, what is the wonderful, radical news of the Bible? Despite all this, God loves us. He loves us, not because we are lovable or because we are lovely, but because he is full of immense, overflowing love. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved who? <laughs> It doesn't say amazing grace, how sweet the sound that, that saved a perfectly respectable man like me. No, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And this is the powerful motivation for us to love our enemies. Uh, we can't do this if we uh, try and uh, somehow release some innate goodness from our hearts and stir it up so that we can love our enemies. Not at all. Instead, what we need is the cross of Jesus. The cross of Jesus Christ in our vision, reminding us of our past and pushing us forward into the future with radical love. Now, of course, friends, this isn't easy, but the cross wasn't easy. Loving your enemies involves sucking up all the anger and so that we can pour out instead radical love. It isn't easy, but it is necessary and it is worth it. And what you see in these verses is Jesus giving us three practical ways of how we might do it. So he doesn't want us to just have the theoretical understanding. He says, I wanted to, well, he couldn't do it. So how does he do it? Well, here are three examples. Uh, verse 44, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We should pray for people and pray the blessings of God on them. This is not praying down the curses of God on our enemies and say, smite them now, Lord. This is even though they, they, they persecute me. I want to pray the blessing, Father, on them. Lord, change their hearts. Bring blessing to their family. Bring a Christian into their life. Soften their hearts. Lord, I pray the blessing. How do you do that? Well, isn't that what the Lord Jesus Christ was doing when he was died on the cross? Father, forgive them. Praying for them. At verse 45, not just praying, but helping them practically. Um, he causes, we're told, God causes the sun to rise and the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Uh, God, God gives 
uh, practical blessings uh, to us. If we love those who love us, well, what reward will we get? But we are to be like our Father in heaven who provides us uh, even his enemies. He provides his enemies, those who don't even know, that don't want to know him. He provides the sun and the rain and he gives them all the provisions that they need. We can be practical with our enemies if we are to be like our heavenly father. And then verse uh, 47. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than all the others? Don't even the pagans do that. The very act of greeting them. You might think that's so ordinary. How? Well, sure, that's what everybody does. You, you see someone, you greet them. Oh, I think we all know that isn't the case. How easy it is for relationships to be broken, for enemies not to speak to each other, for people to be ignored. And how we know that feeling of isolation from friendship, from voices, and it can kill us inside. Christian be different. Love our enemies. We pray for them, we help them practically, and we greet them. Now, friends, let me conclude by saying this. The world doesn't need to eliminate extremism full stop. What we need in the world is a world filled with extreme love. And the church is the only community that will provide what this world needs. We are imperfect. Oh boy, don't we know it. We will not be perfect until we arrive in that heavenly world. However, this side of heaven, despite our imperfections, the church of Jesus Christ, the local churches, well, these are the places, the most loving community that anybody will ever find. So let me conclude by saying two things. Let us make sure that we are truly part of it. And I don't simply mean turning up at services, maybe joining a group. I want to ask you, are you truly part of the church of Jesus? And you only become part of the church of Jesus when you are truly a follower of Jesus. So don't just get religion. Make sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That you have faith in him. Move from simply believing things about him, believing that he existed, to making sure we follow him wholeheartedly and trust in him. For our salvation and when we are we are part of the church of Jesus and then make sure as we are part of the church of Jesus that we keep on striving in the power of God to be just like our dad within the security of belonging to this new family through adoption that is our security well let's strive in the power of the spirit to be the children who are characterized by extreme love Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. And we would pray that you would continue to transform us as we gaze at Jesus to be a community of people that look more like you every single day. So give us the courage, uh, give us the motivation and empower us this week, we pray, to live, speak and serve Jesus. For the glory of his name, we pray. Amen.